Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. the frequency, tune in. Get up, word. Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's Favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you back into the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon. It is Independence Day weekend. It's been one heck of a week, y'all. SCOTUS has, in my mind, lost their ever-loving minds. Uh, As a matter of fact, they didn't just lose it. Uh, We knew what we were getting when the three justices appointed under Trump were placed into their current positions. Uh, It's a tough week. It really is a tough week. Uh, But I want you to stay tuned throughout this whole show. We've got a great show for you. Uh, But I'm going to have a commentary uh, on my thoughts on SCOTUS and my thoughts on President Biden's reaction At the end of today's show, uh, I told my congregation this morning in part of my sermon, and I'll just give you a preview, uh, I got a real problem when a man who benefited from a ladder destroys the ladder for the people that come behind him. Uh, Every office Uncle Thomas has ever had, every position he's ever held, got it through affirmative action. He went to Yale because of affirmative action. He got his first he got his first job after college because his boss wanted to hire a qualified black in his office. And now Uncle Thomas has removed that ladder for brown and black boys and girls that are coming behind him. Yeah, I got some stuff to say, but listen, I don't want to take up our first guest time. Uh, as you know, uh, I always believe in allowing candidates for office to come onto the pastor's office, come into the pastor's office, uh, introduce themselves to you and talk about the issues that they will raise and address if they are elected to office. Uh, just uh, over the last few months before the primary for mayor, We had just about every candidate for mayor in the pastor's office. Uh, And now, uh, as we pivot and look towards 2024 for the state of Pennsylvania, uh, we've got a young lady that is running for the position of attorney general. You know the position of attorney general. Uh, Our current governor, Josh Shapiro, uh, was the attorney general for Pennsylvania uh, uh, before ascending to the office of governor. Uh, So this young lady that we're going to talk to today, that we're welcoming into the pastor's office for the very first time, uh, is a candidate for attorney general. And if elected, would be the first black 
female elected to executive office in the state of Pennsylvania. I want to welcome into the pastor's office, as I said, for the very first time, Mrs. Keir Bradford Gray. Mrs. Bradford Gray, uh, welcome into the pastor's office. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping you'll allow me to call you Keir. That'll make for a, a more comfortable conversation. Is that all right? Oh, please do. All right, all right. All right. Well, welcome into the pastor's office, Keir. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me, and I, I appreciate your beginning monologue because it's exactly on everyone's hearts and minds. Yeah, I'm, I, I've got to tell you, I am I'm mortified uh, by what this court is doing uh, with all the progress that America has made. And, and let's let's be clear, America is not perfect. It's certainly not perfect for all of its citizens. Uh, but it certainly seems as if this court is laser focused uh, on turning the clock back in a lot of areas. Uh, and I feel like we better have our antennas up uh, and be totally engaged because if we're not uh, and we don't continue to put pressure on our elected officials, uh, I think we could end up being in a world of trouble. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to I wanna say something because I think we, we have to understand how the dots are connected to. You know, we voted for Obama. But Obama had a Senate that blocked his Supreme Court nominations. So that left a vacancy when Trump got in. Then we had a justice that was, you know, in the 90s that did not retire during the Obama administration and unfortunately was no longer with us during the Trump presidency. That gave him two vacancies. So we've got to be more strategic into how we look at this. And it's not just about the president, but who the Senate senators are, because that makes a difference. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, you're a candidate for attorney general. But before we get to that, I really want to introduce you to our Philly's favorite listeners. Why don't you just give our listeners a little bit about your background? Well, I'm just a young girl that was born in the city of Boston to a union laborer and a parole officer as a mom who we had a lot of love inside the home. Uh, We didn't have a lot of money, but we figured out a way and they figured out a way to help me advance beyond where they were. And I was the first generation person to go to college in my in my family and I was I ended up in college in Georgia where I got a scholarship a sports scholarship to go and it was there that I found that I could actually become my wildest dreams I went to an HBCU at Albany State College and I had my first African-American teacher who was a lawyer and I went up to her and I said hey I want to be a lawyer how do I do that and she said honey just apply and from there it was history I'd applied and I was on my track and I went to law school in Ohio, and when I said to myself, where do I want to start my legal career? I said, I want to start where the Constitution was birthed, and that was here in Philadelphia. And in, ever since 1999, I've made Philadelphia my home. I was a public defender, both at state and federal levels. I then became tapped by Josh Shapiro to be a leader in his county government, where he told me to head or appointed me to head the public defender office in Montgomery County. I was able to create some wonderful structures and make that office a community office. I took that to Philadelphia where I got a chance to lead that office. And in both offices, I was the first African-American to do that. All right. So, so, so listen, a couple things that intrigued me uh, uh, in your answer. First, you said athletics. So I I went to college on a football and wrestling scholarship. So first of all, what, what sport did you go to college to play? 
Yeah, so I originally went to college on a basketball and volleyball scholarship. But when I got to college, I did the ultimate, and, you know, I was not, I was a little salty that I was not getting as much playing time as I wanted to. So I asked my coach, can I keep my scholarship playing volleyball? And I did. So I played intramural basketball after that, but I played volleyball to continue my scholarship. All right. And shout out to HBCUs. We love them on this show. We love all schools, but there's something special about HBCUs. And and one thing you said, and and I'm from Abington, by the way, so I'm from Montgomery County. And and since you know Montgomery County, you know uh, that... um, that uh well i can tell you in my high school it was 11 12% black uh and i did not see that many black teachers uh as a matter of fact most of uh the black teachers in my high school were teaching gym or coaching football uh or coaching basketball so when i stepped on the campus at norfolk state university much like you and saw uh, a, a a mayor uh, of Chesapeake that was black teaching history at the school, saw attorneys, saw newscasters and different individuals like that that were actually giving back by teaching in the classroom. Man, it opened up my eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. It told me that there was no ceiling to what I could do. And, and I'm just... Man, it just it just transformed me. I want you to tell our listeners how seeing uh, uh, that professor and then seeing a whole community of people that look like us and came from shared backgrounds, how that transformed you. Oh, th- first of all, thank you for that question because that is the essence of what has happened to my life. You know, when I was younger in school and I didn't have any African American teachers. I made the, I would say, the unfortunate mistake of telling one of my teachers that I wanted to one day become a lawyer, and they laughed, and they tried to steer me to what they believed was a more realistic path for me, and so I almost shut down my dream, and it wasn't until I got to the HBCU that I was more sewn into and poured into by people who had access to to a better or different life than I was used to. I mean, I saw people down there whose fathers and, and mothers were business owners and so different from my environment in Boston. But most importantly, I had access to a teacher who wanted to mentor me, guide me, and help me understand that I could be whatever my wildest dreams were. And they didn't just tell me that. They gave me the toolkit. They gave me the footsteps to follow. And, I mean, if it weren't for that experience, I might not have uttered that dream out again, out loud. And just the fact that I had the ability to do it, but also lean on people and people not only encourage me, but make, make it sure I knew this was my destiny. This is why I'm here today. Wow. We have so much in common. Uh, you know, at Abington, uh, my principal, uh, when I went into him to have a conversation, I said, you know, I can go to Millersville University. I can go to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I could go to Kutztown. I go to West Virginia University and play football. Uh, I said, or I can go to Norfolk State University. You know what he said about Norfolk State University? And I've shared this all over the country. He said, yeah, well, you know, Norfolk State is a land-grant black college. And quite frankly, John, you can do better. 
And, and then I went to the black guidance counselor uh, uh, down the road because that didn't sit right with me, even as a 17 year old. And and I said to her, I said, this is what the principal said. What do you say? And she said, with her Cheney banner in behind her. uh, uh, And I'll never forget that. She said, Jonathan, whatever school you go to. If you put your whole self into it, you'll get a full experience out of it. And that's when I ended up choosing Norfolk State. But it's so interesting uh, how if we listened to certain folk, we never would have had that experience. Uh, so I, I thank you for sharing that with our audience. And I honestly feel that with what Co- what SCOTUS has just done, I feel like it's an amazing recruitment tool for our HBCUs. <laughs> I really believe well, that. Well, you know what? It may be, but it also may be that uh, recruitment or the way HBCUs do their recruitment can be challenged now. So we got to watch out for what this means and who can challenge what now that race can't be a factor in deciding who gets to be educated where. So interesting, and I think there's more to come. Wow, great point, great point. Hey, you're listening to Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM, and we are talking to Keir Bradford Gray, uh, who is a candidate for Attorney General uh, here in the state of Pennsylvania. Keir, talk to us a little bit uh, from the career side. Uh, You kind of gave us a little stepladder of where you've been and what you've done thus far, but what has sparked you now to want to take this leap uh, into running for office? You know, politics is a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, we can get elected, but then we get in sometimes and find out, uh-oh, what, 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 we got to be careful what we ask for because it's hard to get things done. Talk to us about what has sparked you to really want to run for attorney general. Well, thank you for that. Well, one, looking at the role of the Attorney General, there's enormous opportunity to use its resources and responsibility to do things that include large, more communities that may not have been included in some of the efforts to help build communities up. And I know that politics can be what we see, see as an ugly beast, but everything has politics involved. When I was the chief defender of Montgomery County, there was a lot of politics there with a little P or a capital P that I had to work through to advance things. And despite the fact that I was often the only person who looked like me in rooms that of decision makers, I was still able to get things done. You know why? Because I didn't come in guns blazing or, you know, with a S on my chest. I went in and I got to that community and where I had a big vision, I knew I had to build big coalitions. And so I'm very strategic and very thoughtful. And my humility is that it is in that I know this is never just about me. So when you start bringing in people who have different expertise and different levers to pull, then you can start advancing things. Doesn't happen overnight, but it takes steadfastness and it takes passion and commitment and tenacity to continue to move forward, to push things through. And the role of the attorney general has such a large opportunity. I mean, we're talking about things like modern-day redlining that this role can tackle. And it doesn't need politics. It just needs for me to be able to be in that role and launch an investigation where there's complaints about baking practices and discrimination. And that's just as easy as that. I don't have to go to a legislature and ask them to do that. I can do that by my, the power vested in that office. When you look at people like Letitia James, who's going after the NRA, tackling wage theft or pay equity, she's doing that based on the muscle of her office. And that's what I think people don't realize. When we, there are roles like this 
that have the muscle of their office in terms of how the leader uses those resources, that is an unfettered access and opportunity to do things and to bring vantage points to the work. And that's why, you know, it's, it's hard for some people like us to get those roles because the types of things you can do are so dynamic and, and there's so many opportunities that, trust me, to have people like us who bring us and our perspective to that role is going to really expose some real ugly truths. Yeah, well, well, you mentioned Letitia James, and, and I got to tell you, uh, she has absolutely exposed some ugly truths in New York, and and I really applaud her for her tenacity and her courage, uh, because yeah. we know that forces have really been uh, coming against her for uh, the investigations and the work that she's been trying to do. Talk to us uh, about some of the issues. Some of the mm-hmm. issues that Pennsylvania is facing uh, that have motivated you to want to seek this office. What are you going to get at when, if you attain this position? Well, there's so many areas to get at, but I'll tell you this. I have been the public defender, and I've seen very many commonalities that allow people to be sitting next to me. And there's a lot of disinvestments that go on and a lot of predatory practices and discrimination that make people feel either vulnerable, less valuable, erodes their opportunity and their security. So I want to use this role to provide a whole pie of what public safety looks like, not just through law enforcement, but also through improving people's lives by providing them greater protections. And some of the things that I want to focus on is providing greater economic opportunity to families where they need to make sure that they every dollar they earn is, is kept in their pockets because life affordability is real. So the AG's role has the ability to tackle wage theft, and wage theft is the largest theft going on in, in, the, in the nation. And we don't get at those actors that are very sophisticated in taking people's money in hard-earned dollars. We want to protect residents from predatory practices and scams that continuously take money out of their paycheck and out of their household. And we want to fight to ensure families have the tools they need to buy or stay in their homes and punish unfair discriminatory practices that stand in the way of upward mobility and opportunity. And that provides a wealth of options that we have, but also we have to connect with people who are in these residents in the communities that are already doing the work, make sure the office is much more accessible to people all across the Commonwealth, regardless of their income, their language, or their ability, and start to listen to them and start using the role to address their issues as well, which is really, when they say attorney general, the attorney general has very general jurisdiction to do a lot of work that is meaningful for everyday people, working class people. I heard some areas there that absolutely have a great level of interest for me. One of the things we've talked about a lot on our show is the housing issue and people being able to stay in their housing. And so, you know, I want to dig into that as we go forward. But one thing I didn't hear uh, you talk about was how you can use your office to impact education in the state to make sure that no matter what zip code you come from, no matter where you live, that everybody has equal access to the same high-level education. Well, I I thank you for that question because I believe the Attorney General – just weighed in on the lawsuit that was brought by the Education Law Center on making sure that there's fair and equitable funding, as our Constitution says we should have. And that while we won the ruling, it still didn't give a, a, a uh, it still didn't give a blueprint of how that funding should be impacted. 
But now that we have this scoutist ruling, the Supreme Court ruling that we can no longer consider race in, in, in accepting and admitting students into higher education and better opportunities, now we need to be just as vigilant to make sure that all the all the levels of education are fairly funded so now we can compete on other levels rather than just looking at race. Because if you don't give me a fair opportunity through my middle school, high school to get to that level, then how is it that I'm supposed to get there without affirmative action? So we've got to now be vigilant, and the Attorney General's role has a huge platform that can advance and influence policy. It also has lawyers and legal that can join in or sue um, when people are not providing those equitable funding uh, practices, but it all is a matter of practicality because you can sue and have a wonderful ruling, but it's about how do you make sure that you get the legislature to appropriate the, re- the, the, the money that's necessary to actually do that, and that's going to take other levers other than the Attorney General. It's going to take us to vote for the House, the Senate, NPA, to get those things done. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM, and we are talking with Mrs. Keir Bradford Gray, who's running for Attorney General, State of Pennsylvania. Ma'am, I'm really enjoying our conversation. Uh, and as I said, looking forward to having you back during this campaign, during this road, uh, this journey that you're taking to talk more about the issues you're facing. Before I get to the last part of this interview, you know what really irks me, and I'm going to talk about this in about 30 minutes, you know, they, they, they want to kill affirmative action, but yet still still do nothing about legacy enrollment. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Which is the ultimate affirmative action, right? Absolutely. So I was watching a show today, and and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about JFK, uh, but they read his essay uh, that he had to write to get to, to uh, obtain enrollment in the college. And if you listen to it, you know that he got that opportunity because of his daddy uh, and because of the family that preceded him. Uh, and, and and so, you know, we, we've got we've got legacy enrollment, which, as you said, is affirmative action. But yet black and brown who don't have the benefit of legacy enrollment, we now in a way are going to be suffering. I, you can't make this stuff up can't have the consideration of race. You shouldn't have the consideration of daddy wealth and access to networks either. And so while the Supreme Court claims that there's no constitutional issue with legacy enrollment, it's all under the equal protection. Because if you had privilege to get into those colleges or because your family, benefiting off your family's privilege, then that's an unequal access that I don't have, where I'm a first-generation college student. You know, so it's a real issue and bigotry that's going on here that we have to be better better organized to really create and craft the narrative and the toolkit that we need to proceed. Campaigns are tough. Campaigns are long. Campaigns are expensive. Uh, so as you embark on this journey to become our next attorney general. Uh, I want you to share with our audience where they can find out more about your campaign, where they may be able to volunteer to help you with your campaign, and certainly where they can financially support your campaign. Well, thank you for that question. As I said, this is about all of us. It's much bigger than me. So I'm going to need all the help that I can get. And if you are interested in helping, please go to my website, careforag.com. That's K-E-I-R-F-O-R-A-G 
www.thepeopleshow.com. And that will allow them to, to either sign up to volunteer, donate, keep up what's going on, join something that we're having, whatever that is. I need you. I need everyone that wants to understand how this role, how we can bring us to this role and making sure that we're protecting all communities and giving all communities an opportunity for public safety. Kier Bradford Gray, thank you for coming in the pastor's office. I, I didn't even, I normally ask this at first time uh, participants, uh, you know, if, if you know anything about the pastor's office, if you grew up in church, because, you know, typically the pastor's office is where a lot of decisions are made. Uh, so, so, so I hope this was yes. a good experience for you. Oh, it was excellent. And this is exactly what I thought I was walking into. So thank you for giving me my expectations. It was an awesome interview and wonderful talking to you, and I hope to be back. We pray for you, uh, keeping you lifted in prayer. Stay strong. Uh, and, again, uh, these airwaves will be open to you as the campaign progresses. Be blessed, ma'am. Oh, you as well. Talk soon. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, Pastor Mason back in the pastor's office, and we want to thank Mrs. Keir Bradford Gray uh, for joining us, candidate for attorney general. Make sure you go look up more information about her, uh, and we will absolutely speak with her again as she travels on this journey to November 5th, 2024. But listen, let's pivot. We're about to celebrate our 247th birthday. That's right. America is celebrating a birthday. Uh, And there are a lot of things for you to do this weekend in the city of Philadelphia. Now, based on the way traffic was when I was coming down 95 today, a whole lot of you are leaving Philly. But for those of you that are staying, we want to give you some information about some great things you can do uh, this weekend. So with that, I want to bring in the CEO of Visit Philly, Angela Val, to give us some information on what's going on for each of us uh, in Philly this weekend. Angela, welcome to the pastor's office. Thank you so much for having me. So first of all, just for some of our listeners who may not know about Visit Philly, why, why don't you give them a little bit of information about what it is uh, you and your team do? Absolutely. Our mission at Visit Philadelphia is to build greater Philadelphia's image. We drive day and overnight leisure visitation, and we do that by boosting the economy. Uh, plus, we increase the number of visitors who come, the frequency in which they come, the number of nights they stay in Philadelphia, and the number of things they do. And we do this through a bunch of different marketing efforts. I, I got to tell you, Angela, I used to serve as international president of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. As a matter of fact, I was elected uh, right here in Philadelphia at the convention center. And we're an organization been around since 1914, 150,000 members. Uh, anyway, every event that I had to plan across the country. Can I tell you who my greatest advocates and my greatest partners were? It was it was the it was the CEOs or their representatives from the various visit organizations. Visit Detroit, uh, visit yeah. Los Angeles. They were my greatest advocates. When I had a tough negotiation with a hotel, uh, those teams came in and made things right. Even here in Philly, I brought an event here in uh 
January of 2017, we brought 3,000 people to the city. When we had issues, when we had challenges, it was Visit Philadelphia that stepped up and made the pathway straight for us. So I really appreciate what your organization and organizations like yours do. Uh, It is really important when you're talking about uh, uh, bringing great opportunities to the city. So first of all, thank you for what you do. But listen, we're about to celebrate our birthday. Like I said, a lot of folk are leaving town, but there are a lot of us that are staying. Talk to us about some things we can do in Philly this weekend. Yeah, there are a lot of people staying in Philly, but there's also a lot of people coming to Philly for the 4th of July weekend. Uh, The city of Philadelphia has been celebrating since Juneteenth. Um, That was June 19th. The annual Wawa Welcome America celebration now starts on Juneteenth and ends on July 4th. So Philadelphia is our home. It's also the birthplace of America. So we're excited that Wawa Welcome America is officially a 16-day celebration of freedom and independence. Don't worry if you haven't had a chance to get out and celebrate yet. There's lots to do this weekend, and many of those events are free. Um, I'd like to just go through a couple of them. That sound really exciting to me. Uh, Tomorrow is Avenue of the Arts Block Party. Uh, you and your entire family can check out live performances and workshops, uh, eat some great food. They're even uh, slide down um, the middle of Broad Street. It's a 120-foot slide. Um, everything will take place on Broad Street between Broad and Locust and Spruce. Uh, festivities begin at 11 a.m. to 7. We suggest you RSVP for that. There are also two free concerts happening on Independence Hall. One is the Gospel on Independence, which is Sunday, July 2nd, uh, featuring the Six Singing Sisters uh, Ensemble and the Phillies Remembers Choir, and Music on Independence, which is Monday, July 3rd, with Vanessa Williams. Both concerts start at 6 p.m. If you want to spend your weekend in Philadelphia's countryside, those surrounding suburbs are partners, part of our region. Uh, the countryside, there are ta- events taking place in Glenmore, Wayne, uh, and Fort Mifflin. You can get details on those at visitphilly.com. And lastly, the 4th of July, the day we've all been waiting for, you can watch the Salute to America's Independence Day Parade, which begins at 2nd Street Market at 11 a.m. and ends at City Hall at 1230. And you don't want to miss the free concert on the parkway featuring Ludacris and Dibby Lovato. That starts at 7 p.m., That is a free concert, I will say, too. But you may want to get there a little bit early and claim your spot. I know it's going to be really popular. And then we'll end the evening with fireworks that will start right after the concert, right there on the parkway at 945. I was talking to one of my friends today who is a right-hand man of uh, Commissioner Teal. He's one of the captains uh, in the fire department. I'm sorry, chief, chief, chief. He would beat me up if he heard me say captain, but uh, one of the chiefs in the fire department. And, boy, they are gearing up uh, to to be on that parkway uh, for the fireworks. Uh, That's one of the biggest activities that happens in our city uh, every year. Just tell our listeners a little bit more about what, what goes into that? What's happening there? Absolutely. So we have a great organization, our sister organization called Welcome America. They start planning for this festival at the beginning of the year. Uh, so they are a staff that's really small most of the year, about six, seven people. But they expand up to about 100 people by the time the concert comes. It takes cooperation from businesses, city government, 
neighborhoods, because this happens in a neighborhood where we all live, but also it allows for many of the small businesses here in Philadelphia to get a little shine as they come out on the parkway and vendors are able to sell food and drink and T-shirts. You know, one thing I really like that you said earlier is that, yeah, there's some people leaving, but there's a whole lot of people coming to the place where America was founded. Uh, and I certainly want right. to thank you for all the work your team does to kind of pull all of this information together. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know where they can go uh, to find out more information about what's happening this weekend and to find out more information about Visit Philadelphia. Absolutely. You can visit our website at visitphilly.com for a full guide to everything happening now through July 4th. And you can also visit our about section, which will give you um, what we do on the day-to-day, who our team is, our history, and our core values. We have the best job in the world, which is to promote the great city of Philadelphia, America's birthplace. All right, Philly's favorite listeners, you heard it from the CEO of Visit Philadelphia. Get up, get out, and enjoy some of the great happenings uh, that are going on in our city this weekend and over the next few days. Don't stay inside. Don't, Don't go somewhere else. Stay in Philly. And guess what? For your family and friends that are coming into the city, show them a good time. All right. All right. Listen, Angela, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office. And we certainly hope we can have you back again uh, to talk about other great happenings in our wonderful city. We really appreciate you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Happy 4th. All right. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. I want you to stay put because I got some things to say about SCOTUS and about President Biden. We'll be right back. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office for our last segment. I've been sharing with you that I've got some feelings, i got some thoughts on what happened this week. Um, this, was a, this, was a, this was, I think this was a clarion call to each and every one of us to understand the importance and the value of of our vote. Uh, let me help you out. In 2016, 2016, Donald Trump won the presidency of these United States as a result of a difference of about 80,000 votes spread across the country. Not talking about the popular vote. We know Hillary won the popular vote. Uh, beat him by a mile. But our presidency is determined by the Electoral College. So by a spread of about 80,000 votes spread across this country, we endured the presidency of Donald Trump for four years. In those four years, Donald Trump was able to nominate and see three justices placed on the Supreme Court. Not only was he able to see three justices placed on the Supreme Court, giving it a heavy lean towards the conservative right, but he was also able to place federal judges all throughout these United States. And we are seeing the results 
of his election evidenced in decisions coming down from the Supreme Court right now. This week, SCOTUS said that affirmative action would be no more. What really irks me about this is that one of the justices that has waged war against affirmative action his entire professional career is Uncle Clarence Thomas. This man who when he was in school at the College of Holy Cross identified with the civil rights movement, identified with the Black Panthers. As a matter of fact, if you look at his old pictures, he dressed like Huey Newton in the Black Panthers. This man who was able to get into one of the most elite colleges in the land because of the color of his skin. I'm not saying he wasn't qualified. Stop that. He's probably one of the great legal minds of our time and of any generation. But it's clear that he was able to get in the law school in part because of his race. He got his first job in part because of his race. And I would dare say, even though George Herbert Walker Bush said race had nothing to do with it, you know I know, and future generations will understand, that Thurgood Marshall, the first black on the Supreme Court, passed away. And Clarence Thomas was appointed to take his place. And even if you look at polling at that time, black folk were still with Clarence Thomas. 70% of black folk supported his nomination and put pressure on Democrats to make sure that he would sit on the Supreme Court. And all this man has done during his time on the court, as I said earlier, he's done his best to remove that same ladder that he used to step up to remove it for those that are coming behind him. Brothers and sisters, Philly's favorite listeners, we have got to vote. We have got to be so passionate about going to the polls and making our voices heard because all elections have repercussions, have consequences. And here's, here's the part about SCOTUS's decision. They remove affirmative action, but say legacy enrollments are not an issue. Just like Keir said earlier, legacy enrollments are a banner for affirmative action. 
Your great granddaddy went to the school. Your granddaddy went to the school. Your daddy went to the school. So because of that, you can go to the school. That's what legacy enrollment is. That's affirmative action. So how do we keep that in place? But yet, we now remove affirmative action. Y'all better vote. You better make sure you allow your voices to be heard. Because when we don't vote, we allow people to get into positions and attempt to roll back the clock on advances that people fought for, went to prison for, and yes, died for. That's all I got to say. I said it, I mean it, and I'll tell anybody that his name is not Justice Clarence Thomas, it's Uncle Clarence Thomas. And I said what I said. All right, Philly's favorite listeners, join us next week right here in the pastor's office. 2 p.m., same dial, same time, same host, if it be the Lord's will. But until we meet again, stay safe, stay faithful, stay prayed up, and stay in the presence of the Lord. We love you. Talk to you soon. God bless. Political, spiritual, maybe some lies. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.